Well, if you are one of our volunteers, whether you serve here on a Sunday throughout the week, whether you're a small group leader or you're in the parking lot, especially today, uh, or you, know, you, you change toilet paper, whatever it is that you do, we are so grateful for you. We want you to know that. Like, you are what make our church great. And so thank you for all you do. We love you and we appreciate you. Like Jeannie said, my name is Kurt and I'm the director of Next Steps and Connections here at Soul City. And I am so honored to be here this morning as we continue in our Art of Being series. I agree. This series has been incredible as we've kind of begun the year together looking at what it really looks like to be in a transforming relationship with Jesus and to discover together how we can become all of who God intended us to be. And it's just been one of those series that's just a great way to start the year. And last week, Pastor Jeannie taught on uh, community and how when we are in a safe space, uh, we don't fear being honest about who we really are, being real, not hiding and not concealing, but, but confessing and bringing who we really are into the light in front of each other. And so uh, you've had a week to practice, and so I thought it would be good for us this morning to start out with kind of an impromptu mass confessional. We good with that? Everybody just got nervous. It's all right. We're, it's it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy. So raise your hand if this year, uh, we talked about New Year's resolutions. Make, raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution of some sort this year. Raise your hand. Good. About half the room. The rest of us, either life is great or we don't, we don't believe in goals. Good. Okay, perfect. So you made, you made, a, re, you made a resolution. Uh, how many of you, like me, uh, this year you made a resolution that was strikingly similar to a resolution you've made in the past? Yeah? Many of us? Resolution recyclers? Good. Okay. Uh, and then how many of you, it's February 1st, you're a month in, how many of you are still going strong on your resolution? I'll keep my hand down. Okay, 10 of you, gold star, good, all right. Isn't, isn't that interesting? I mean, around this time of year, like, we all spend a lot of time and energy and money and focus trying to make these promises to ourselves. and for many of us, we get stuck, and they never seem to kind of create or leave any lasting impact in our life. And for those of you that are regulars at the gym, you're glad because now there's open treadmills and lockers again. Um, and the gym is glad because they have all the rest of our money. Uh, but we have these, these moments, this drive in us to improve ourselves. And, and it comes around at the beginning of the year and, and we, we want to, we make these resolutions. We, we want to lose the extra weight again. We want to, you know, get better with our budget and our spending and live within our means. We want to spend more time with your kids. We want to be more patient or more gentle or more kind. And all of these things are really good things. There's nothing wrong about those things. But they tend to fail each and every year. They never tend to lead to anything, at least in my life and, and in many of our lives as well. And I wonder if, I wonder if the reasons that our resolutions never tend to make much of anything is because they're usually only about me. My resolutions are usually only about me. They're about improving my life by my own strength, and my strength usually runs out long before February 1st. And maybe that's true for you too. And so we find ourselves stuck in this cyclical pattern. But maybe this morning, I wonder if God has some insight and some wisdom, again, the God who created us, who knows us best, about how we can become all of who we're created to be, all of who he dreams for you to become. And we want to wrestle with this question this morning is what if the path to becoming all who God created you to be isn't all about you? What if becoming all who I'm supposed to be isn't all about me? Now, I know this can be an even confusing or even challenging, difficult thought for many of us because we all have the lines that go in our head when we hear something like that. Well, I got to take care of myself. No one else is watching out for me. I got I to watch out for my own. Doesn't the Bible say that God helps those who help themselves? No, but we're going to look at something that the Bible does say 
this morning uh, that I think is really, really important. And this one thing that we're going to look at this morning, uh, if Jesus followers throughout history, if we were to get this one thing right, not again, not everything that Jesus taught, not the whole Bible, not even just the Ten Commandments, if we were to put this one idea into practice, our world would be in a radically different place. We would be in radically different places. The, The city that we live in would be in a different shape if we put this one thing into practice. This one thing, if we were to live it out, probably would have helped our world avoid tragedies like World War II. We probably would have uh, a lot fewer divorces if we lived out this one principle. As we begin and honor Black History Month this morning, we would not have most likely the racial tension that still plagues our city even to this day simply by applying this one idea that Jesus taught. Your relationships and mine at work or at home with your spouse or partner or with your kids would probably look differently if we lived out this one thing. And if we were to really grab onto this, you and I would probably come to church differently because of this one idea that Jesus is going to teach us this morning. And so it's probably pretty, sounds pretty important. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 24. If you didn't bring one, uh, they'll be up on the screens, but there's also a Bible in the seat back in front of you. It looks just like this. And I would encourage you to, to grab it because it's important that we know where this comes from. And we're going to actually say some words back as we read this passage together. But to kind of give you an idea of where this story originates, because nothing ever happens just by itself, Luke, right, who wrote the book of Luke, he's a very creative author, uh, especially with titles. Luke was a journalist, and he investigated and asked a lot of people a lot of questions about who Jesus was and what he was like. He was, he was a journalist, he was a medical professional, so he always interviewed people around a situation, eyewitnesses, to say what was really going on. And he did the same thing with the person of Jesus. And so he writes and collects all these stories and writes these things down so we get a picture of who Jesus was. But this wasn't an isolated story that only Luke discovered either. Matthew and Mark, two men who were in Jesus' closest circle that traveled around with him for three years, also record this exact same story in their tellings of Jesus' life. So this isn't an isolated incident, all right? And so this story happens on the last night of Jesus' life. He, he's already like served his disciples a communion meal where he breaks the bread and says, this is like my body, it's broken for you. And he pours out the wine and says, this is like my blood that's gonna be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he knows he only has a few hours left before he's arrested and then ultimately killed later that evening. And so these are some of the last things he chooses to say to his closest friends and followers. If you knew that you only had a few hours left, what would you say to your loved ones? What would you say to your kids? What would you say to your friends that you want to make sure they knew before your time was up? This is one of the things that Jesus says. Luke tells us in chapter uh, 22, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to who of them, which of them was considered to be the greatest. Right, so Jesus has laid out this incredible meal. It's this tender moment where he served all of his followers And meanwhile, a couple of them are over in the corner bickering about, am I going to be the best? I'm better than you. I'm definitely better than that guy, right? And they're having this argument. And it's so interesting that it's true then and it's true now that our selfishness shows up at the most inopportune times. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge their fight, but he simply says to them, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority call themselves the benefactors. But you should not be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who, what? Serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? 
but I am among you as one who serves. Again, this is their leader, their rabbi, their teacher, the person that they've devoted their last three years of their life to following. And he's at the table with them, leading them, and he says, I'm here as one who serves. And he draws this pretty stark contrast between something that they know and something that we're very familiar with as well. He says that those in power, those in authority, those who have the option to be in control usually use their power to benefit themselves and not anybody else. Now, I know we have no idea what that's like here in the city of Chicago, uh, but we can imagine, right? We can imagine. But it's easy to point fingers, right, at, at politicians and, and other people, but you know what else is true? It's true in here. It's true for me, and my guess is it's probably true for you. I know this because even this past Monday, uh, I, I went into a staff meeting here, a team meeting, and, and I didn't really realize it at the time, but in hindsight, I realized I went into this meeting with the intention of proving that I was better than somebody else. That I needed to make sure that I looked like I did a good job, that I was right. And in that situation, I decided the best way to do that was to tear somebody else down and to put down what they did so what I did looked better. And I work at a church. And I was preparing for a message on serving. And I was confronted with my own selfishness. And I had to go back and apologize to my teammate. And so I know it's true for me. And my hunch is, for all of us, we can think of a scenario where we're fighting about who's right or who's better or who's greater. And meanwhile, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that. He says, no, I'm inviting you to something bigger. I'm inviting you to something better. And he paints this conduct, which is why, for those of us that desire to follow Jesus, the next two words that Jesus says are so important. He says, but you. This is the normal operating pattern of the world, but you, something different. He says, you are not to be like that. You are to live in a way that even when you have power and control, you don't use it for your own benefit. Jesus actually says that the most powerful person in the room is the one who leverages their power to serve someone else. This is what the art of being actually looks like. As we study the life and teachings of Jesus over these last few weeks in this series, a theme emerges. It's powerful, nearly unmissable, that Jesus' life modeled an example of selfless service to other people, intentionally, sacrificially, consistently, costly service to other people, many of whom could not do anything in return. And he invites us into the exact same way. The way of Jesus is a life seeking to serve and not seeking to be served. You can put it this way, and you might want to write this down, because it's, again, it's so clear in the life of Jesus that when following Jesus, being first is my last priority. When we're following Jesus, being first should be our last priority. When you're following Jesus, when I'm following Jesus, when we go in the footsteps in the way of Jesus, we actually don't think about being the best, being out front, or who's the greatest, but instead we look for opportunities. We seek out the challenge and the joy of serving other people. And you need to know, if, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you're here, this, this isn't like optional. This is, this is the center of the life of Jesus. It's the center of the invitation that Jesus extends to you and to me. 
And, and if you're here and, and you're just checking out church and you're interested in what it means to follow Jesus, but you haven't made that decision yet, I am so glad that you're here because you need to know that this is what it's actually all about. This is actually what it's all about. It's about following the man of God who comes and serves other people. That's what a life of Jesus is all about. That's what he invites you and me into. But my hunch is you might be here this morning and like me, that hasn't been perhaps your experience with church or organized religion. You may have experienced quite the opposite, where you were manipulated or taken advantage of, because the way of religion is very similar to the way of the world, where those in control and in power use others to benefit themselves. Unfortunately, it's true. But you need to know this morning that that is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of Jesus. And like I said, if, if those of us that follow Jesus were to get this one thing right, how much our world would be different? How much our life would be different? You see, Jesus knew that if the world was going to experience his radical transformational love any length of time beyond his life, if that was going to happen, he knew that that had to come through people that were following him, loving and serving and being with other people the same way that he was. And so this isn't just for the super spiritual ones of us. This isn't just for the pastors or the leaders or the you know, nurses or the social workers. This idea of inv the invitation of God into a life of serving is extended to everyone, to you and to me, right where you're at, in the middle of your story with all your doubts, junk, and excuses. Jesus extends that to you right now, today. My wife, Katie, and I were about three weeks away from expecting our first child. And uh, we are very excited. Thank you. Um, some of you like golf claps, like, good job, Kurt. You, whatever. Um, and so we, we are so excited. We cannot wait to meet this baby girl. All right? But one of the things that we at least theoretically know already uh, is that God is going to use this little baby girl, God's going to use our daughter to change our life in some amazing and beautiful ways, but also in some very challenging and difficult ways. Because babies are really good at one thing. They're really good at making sure that their needs are met as fast as possible. And, and if you have kids or maybe you have newborn nephews or nieces or grandchildren that you got to see over the holidays, you're aware of this, that, that God uses these you know, little, beautiful, totally innocent, exclusively selfish, tiny humans <laughs> to transform our life, Right? Because all my daughter's going to care about is making sure that my focus is on meeting her needs 24 hours a day. If she's hungry, cry. She's tired, scream, right? 20 minutes after we've checked everything and fed her, bathed her, changed her, she's going to cry again for no apparent reason. It's going to drive me nuts, right? It's just going to happen, right? And, and when we have this little girl, all of the areas of my life where selfishness still harbors, all of the areas of my life where I can still pursue my own desires and that can kind of fly under the radar are going to be exposed. And every parent in the room is nodding their head and smirking, which is true, right? But we expect and even accept that in children. We know that babies are going to be selfish because you started out that way and so did I. We all did. We know this. But as we grow up, God invites us not only to get bigger physically, but to grow into a way of life that doesn't just look to get our own needs met anymore, but actually use and leverage our life to meet the needs of other people. You know, like I said, 
It's interesting how this plays out in a lot of different areas in, in our world, seemingly even disconnected from, from church or the Bible at all. I was reading a, a leadership study a couple weeks ago on leadership effectiveness. And this study, you know, pulled 20,000 data points. It was a big study and asked people what made a leader effective. And over 77% of the study came back revealing that really there were just two factors that contributed to a leader's effectiveness. I mean, this is over three quarters of the respondents that these two things made all the difference. And one of those factors, as they titled it in the study, was being others-focused. It's so interesting. It's not a Christian company. It's not, it's not a Christian study. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It's just business. It's just leadership. And yet, the same principle that Jesus talked about shows up, and people are saying, that's the kind of thing I see in a leader that I want to follow. That's what makes someone worth listening to. If you've ever taken a business class or, or studied that kind of stuff, uh, you've probably read about Herb Keller, former CEO of Southwest Airlines. Anybody ever flown Southwest Airlines? Right? Many of us. And, and Herb Keller led Southwest Airlines to be profitable for 40 years in a row, which is unheard of in the airline industry. And in the middle of that 40 years was 9-11. And 2001 was the hardest year in memorable history for the airline industry. There was only one company that was profitable in 2001, and it was Southwest Airlines. And Herb Keller within Southwest was known for something. People could expect, they, they just knew it. It was, it was something he was known for, that on Thanksgiving Day, somewhere in the country, maybe in sunny Arizona, maybe in blizzarding Chicago, that the CEO would show up in coveralls and work next to the baggage handlers on the busiest travel day of the year. That he would be there, and he, and he modeled something saying, just because I have letters after my name, or that I have more zeros on my check at the end of the month than you do, doesn't mean I'm better than you. Doesn't mean we're different. We all believe in this company, and I want to do whatever I can do to help make it happen. And to show that I'm here on the busiest travel day of the year, doing one of the hardest jobs for our company. As you hear that story, isn't it, I mean, wouldn't you want to work for someone like that? If you're in business, like, wouldn't you want to hire someone like that? We, we see these stories, and I think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think that's what Jesus was actually talking about. And there are so many people, many of whom would not consider themselves followers of Jesus, that do this so well. And the invitation for us that are followers of Jesus is to step up and do the same. Because whenever we see stories like that, we hear a story, or we see someone do some sort of sacrificial act of service, we always think that it's nice. It's like, oh, look, that's so sweet. That's so great. Like, I wish my boss was that way, whatever. Right? We say all these things. We always think it's nice. But what if it became normal? What if in your life and in mine, people said the normal way that Kurt lives his life is he looks for places to serve, not for ways to get ahead? What if in your life, in your company, or in your home, or, or with the people that you live with, you looked for ways to make serving normal. Really, it comes down to the question of, what if being for others is for me? What if this idea of being for other people is for me too, for you too? Can you imagine what this would be like? Can you imagine the response and the reactions and how it would change your world and your relational dynamics with your husband or your wife or your partner or your kids or the friends that you hang out with on the weekend or your roommate or your coworker? Can you imagine how that would change? What if this week you looked for a way to serve your spouse? Instead of out-shouting each other to prove that you're right and they're wrong, you tried to out-serve each other. What would be different? 
I bet you your home life would feel a lot more welcoming. What if this week you got off work just a little bit early one day and you brought dinner home with you and it was their favorite place, not yours? What would their reaction be? For those of you that maybe have a job that you don't love, it's not your favorite. You're like, oh, the work, work culture there is kind of oh, icky. You know, if I was in charge, I could make some changes, but instead, I'll, eh, right? What if tomorrow when you go to work, you come in with a different lens? I can't do everything, but I can show up looking to serve my coworkers and help my company be the best it can be rather than just trying to do the bare minimum so I don't get noticed. Rather than trying to work my way to the front by putting other people down, what if I came in and encouraged and modeled what it means to serve other people? If you have roommates, and, and if you have roommates, you have roommate drama. It's kind of a package deal, right? But in, instead of mastering your like ninja balancing skills by putting one more piece of trash on the pile, or one, see all the college students are laughing, uh, or, you know, or one more cup in the sink, it's like Everest in the kitchen, it's like, right? What if you spent the exact same amount of time and energy and just did the dishes and didn't keep score about who did it last time and who owes who because you know it's not about the dishes. You're not abdicating your roommate's irresponsibility, but you're stepping into what God is inviting you into, that something happens inside of us when we look for opportunities to joyfully serve other people. And for those of you that are a part of our church, and you've been here for a while perhaps, and you love coming on Sundays, and you love the messages, and you love the music, and you love the environment that's created for you or for your kids, and say, I love Soul City. Do you know the reason that you love Soul City is because week in and week out, hundreds of volunteers get up early and give their time and energy and use the gifts that God's given them to make this place a place where people hear about the love of Jesus in a way they can understand that transforms our hearts. That's the reason you love Soul City. You may never even put words to it that way. But when you say, I love Soul City, there's a person or a group of people's names attached to that. And, and for many of us, and again, maybe it's a New Year's resolution and you're here for the first time, but maybe for many of us, we think coming to church is the end game. And it's a great step. If you're here and this is your first time with us, we have one desire for you, one next step, and that's that you would just come back. The bar is real low, right? That's all we ask of you, right? That's all we hope for you. But for those of us that would say, I'm a follower of Jesus and this is my home, God's dream for you has always been so much bigger than attending church but to participate, to jump in and contribute to the thing that is most important to him. Don't miss this. The God of the universe, who could do anything he wanted, entrusts you and I to create a space where people can experience his transformational love. You are invited to fulfill and participate in the mission that is most closely connected to the heart of God. You should never think that you're not important ever again. That invitation is powerful. And it's for all of us. Exactly where you sit. Exactly what you have going on in your life. With the doubts and the fears and the confusion and all those things. God says, yeah, you. Being for others is for you too. I invite you. And our church is full of people like this. That, that they know that when they serve, it's significant. They're not just doing tasks, but they're part of the epicenter of God's activity in the world. 
and they know it. It's people like Haman and Stacy Cross. I love this family. They've been a part of our church for years. And they would tell you, if you were to ask them, that serving at Soul City, not just attending, has strengthened their marriage, built their family. Their home is better because of what happens, what they're a part of here on Sunday. Haman and Stacey have kids, and, and they knew that they wanted to raise their kids in an environment where their kids grew up to know and love and follow Jesus. And so they said, I'm not going to let, you know, just sit around and wait for somebody else to do that. I want to I get involved. I want to help create that environment for my kids and hundreds of other kids every single Sunday. And so if you have a kindergarten through fifth grader, and you've been coming to Soul City for any length of time, I guarantee you your son or daughter has heard about the love of Jesus on their level in a way they can understand by Mr. Heyman. And if you're a parent and, and you have met other parents upstairs in our family lobby and, and the environments that they create up there and the parties that they throw and the opportunities for moms and dads and parents and guardians to connect with each other, because raising kids in the city is hard, to meet each other, to know that you're not in this alone, we're a family, we're in this together, that environment has been created by Stacy and many other families and parents and volunteers just like her. It's people like Brian Louie, who came to Chicago for college and and while I was at college, you know, met a girl, and now they're engaged. And they were beginning their relationship together. They said, we want to build our relationship on Jesus. And we need to find a church, not just go and sit and attend. But we want to contribute and be involved. And so Brian joined the production team, and Madeline joined our Soul City Kids team upstairs because they're wired differently. And they serve in a way that they're gifted. And Brian's many weeks in the back, in the dark, not looking for applause, not looking for a thank you, but he plays a big part in contributing to what we do here on Sundays. That thousands and thousands of people, week in and week out, are going to hear about the love of Jesus. And Brian's a part of that by being on our production team. He helps contribute to the voices that come off this stage, and no one ever sees them. It's people like Brooke, Brooke and I became friends, and uh, she came to Soul City about a year and a half ago or so. And when she came to Soul City, she wasn't quite sure where she kind of stood with God and, and didn't know about following Jesus, how that kind of worked in her life. She had a lot of questions. And so she, she joined our starting point group, and that's where her and I met. And she had a great time in that group. We had a lot of great conversations, asked a lot of really good questions. And about halfway through that group, she got involved in our cafe team. And about two weeks ago, we had another first serve, which we have every month, where new volunteers join our serving teams. And she sent an email to a new volunteer that joined the cafe team, the team that she serves on uh, here at Soul City. And I wanted to read this to you. I asked her permission to read this to you about what is happening in her heart and her life, not by attending Soul City, but by participating and serving and being involved. Brooke says, Soul City is a very special place to me. And serving in the cafe has been a force in deepening my connection to God and to the community that gives Soul City its soul. I love that. I started serving in the cafe a year ago, and I can tell you, every single time I volunteer, I leave with a warm, full heart and a smile on my face. Who knew that pouring coffee could do that? It's so fun welcoming new guests as they arrive, realizing that there's amazing coffee waiting for them as they take in the vibe of Soul City and to help them feel right at home. I love seeing friends and familiar faces as they come and go for the gatherings each week. The energy and love of God buzzes within the walls of Soul City way more than caffeine could. And serving on the cafe team has made me feel that love in ways I never knew possible. It is my hope and prayer that the same amazing love touches your life. I look forward to serving alongside you in the cafe on an upcoming shift. 
And I read that and I go, it is so much more than filling a spot. So much more than filling a role. So much more than doing a task. Brooke understands. She's experienced. She's tasted what it's like to respond to the invitation that Jesus gives to every single one of us to be someone who serves. To step in and become all who God's created you to be. And you know what? I know you want that too. Because I do. We all do. It's hardwired in us. Just as much as it feels like it's hardwired in us to look for our own way and to use a situation or a person to, to our own advantage, it's also hardwired in us to know that God made us for more. That the art of being is that we would step into a life of serving, not because it's a New Year's resolution or not because we feel guilty or because we want to feel better about ourselves. That's not it at all. But because we know that God doesn't want something from us, but that as we serve, God has something for us. That God, again, who wired you, who knows you better than you even know yourself, knows that there's something for you that you can't get any other way or any other place than by when you step into a life of serving because this is the life Jesus invited you and I into. As we serve, something shifts in our mind, something changes in our hearts. We are transformed by Jesus. And it might just benefit your marriage. And what you practice here on a serving team, perhaps, might just change your workplace as well. As you put intentional steps into practice of seeing how can I love and intentionally serve other people, not for what I can gain in return, your relationships will begin to transform as well. Stuff that is seemingly completely disconnected from church or the Bible or God will start to have this positive effect because God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And so the invitation is here for you this morning. That what if being for others is actually for you too? What if today, right where you're at, God has something for you if you would take this step and be a person who serves? I know we all have the lines in our head of the reasons that we can't. Kurt, you don't understand. It takes so much time and energy just to even juggle what I got going on in my life. You know, you're having a kid in a month. Like, let me know then. Right? I, I get it. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't even know where to start. I mean, it seems like everything's going fine around here. They don't need me. They have Brooke, right? But it's not about what we get from you. It's about what God has for you. So what if? What if being for others is for you too? And for those of us that are, we would call ourselves a follower of Jesus, the reason this is so important, the reason that all this matters, the reason that actually makes all of those reasons and excuses kind of dissolve away is because this is the model of our Savior. And this, actually, this one idea is actually the only reason that you and I can have a relationship with God in the first place is because Jesus lived this out. Imagine if Jesus had said, I need to self-protect. I want to live in scarcity mode. I need to take care of me. He didn't do that. But instead, he said, Kurt, your greatest need goes before my needs. Your greatest need, Kurt, a way to reconnect with God goes before my needs. I'm going to sacrifice myself and put my comfort aside and serve you instead of my own desires. 
If that never happened, we would still be stuck in our sin without hope. But instead, the greatest leader and the greatest servant who ever lived, Jesus modeled this and gave his life so that you and I could have life. And that's the reason that we serve. And that's why the invitation is extended to you. And that's why I hope you and I hope myself will find ways to become a person that serves. Because when we follow Jesus, being first becomes our last priority. And if we live that way, we will change. Our church will change. Our city will change. And Jesus will be seen by others. So let's pray together, and then we're going to continue to worship. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to be a part of the mission that matters most to you. God, I pray as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians that we would have the same mind as Jesus. We would live and think and see the world the same way, Jesus, that you did. That we wouldn't do anything just to get ahead. We would be of one spirit and one purpose. We would be free from pride. We would think of others as better than ourselves. We would not we would not just look out for our own good, but we would intentionally, consistently, and sacrificially look for ways to serve other people. Knowing, God, that ultimately the reason we do that is because you invited us to do that and that you have something for us in that that we can get nowhere else. God, thank you. Thank you that you invite us all into the art of being, of being men and women who see you and follow you and in turn love and honor and serve one another. May our song, but more importantly, our life, give that back to you as an offering now, we pray. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.